0: Welcome to Epiphany with Tiffany, a podcast that explores the deeper meaning behind the clothes you wear and items you own, and how to work with the energy of the cosmos to make powerful shifts in your life, home, and wardrobe. I'm your host, Tiffany. I'm a holistic life and style coach and personal stylist with a deep love for fashion and a firm believer of the life-changing power of energetics. Tune in each week for an illuminating discussion designed to shift your frequency and connect your environment to your soul. This is a Soul Fire production. Hello, friends. Welcome back to the show. Today, I'm so honored to have on a friend and colleague of mine, Carrie Ferber. Carrie is a grief guide and certified spiritual life coach. She works to help you move through the many different layers of grief and anxiety in order to create space for a new story to emerge as you are going through the grieving process. She specializes in energetic alchemy and vibrational transmutation, and through her powerful gifts of energy, healing, intuition, and Love, she creates safe containers to help you really look at and access the parts of grief that are really hard sometimes to tap into. She just completed her first group coaching program called Grounded Grieving, which is an eight week offering. If you want to learn more about Carrie's special programs, please visit her website or follow her on social media. I have her information in the show notes. Today's episode is a conversation about grief. Carrie and I both share what it was like to lose a parent. Both of us have uh, fathers who have passed away. And during this conversation, we both share what it was like to experience the passing of our fathers and in the unique way that they both left the earth and transitioned on. We talk about how we each navigated the many, many waves and layers of grief in our lives and just how overwhelming and heavy the pain can feel in times of loss. This episode contains sensitive topic matters, death, grief, and mental health challenges including mentions of substance abuse and suicidal ideation if you are triggered in any way by any of these topics please skip this episode your mental health and safety is number 1 if you or a loved one is currently struggling with suicidal thoughts or behaviors please seek care from a licensed healthcare provider or call 911 for immediate support i will also Include the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline in the show notes. I really hope you get something meaningful out of this conversation that Carrie and I had. Carrie is just such a light and such a beautiful soul and I am so grateful to her for coming on my show and helping me actually feel really safe to talk about some of my own difficult experiences that I went through after my father passed away. If you have any thoughts around this episode or if there's anything that came up that you feel called to share Please feel free to reach out. I always love to hear from you. You can find me on Instagram at Epiphany with Tiffany or shoot me an email, Tiffany at epiphanywithtiffany.com. Here is my conversation with grief guide, Carrie Ferber. Okay, we got to just dive in because we were already talking off mic about our our differences in our north node and our south node. So for those of you just joining us and don't know a lot about astrology, north node is our destiny, our path where we're trying to go, the new the new energy and the south node is usually the baggage, quote unquote that we're carrying from previous lifetimes, the, the things we're here to work on and work through. I have a north node in cancer, south node in capricorn. Carrie, what do you have?
1: I have a North node in Capricorn at 29 degrees. And, a then mass south, degree. and then my South node is in Cancer. So we're complete
0: opposites, but that must be why we're, we feel so connected. Cause I instantly felt mm. drawn to you for many reasons. And I always thought primarily it was because we both have this common commonality of our, both of our fathers having, uh, already passed. And now it feels back another layer. So of course, so we can, we're actually, whenever I meet someone that has the opposite, I know one other person that has the opposite North and South node. I'm always like, I think we can help each other because we have like the exact opposite problems. <laughs> totally,
1: totally, uh, totally Tiff. Yeah.
0: And also it speaks so much to how nurturing you are, just your overall essence. If I were to pick a word, I would say it's just very soothing and nurturing. And my mother is a cancer son. So I know a lot about cancer sons and you just have a beautifully soft, gentle, soothing presence.
1: I appreciate that. You know, the cancer thing, this, this cancer South node thing has just kind of come into my orbit to explore and I have a lot of fire and air in my chart. And then having this realization that I have a cancer South node with water and just the emotions, uh, it's just like rounding out my understanding of myself. So thank yeah. you.
0: There's always so many layers within astrology. once we learn more and more, it's like, ah, now the puzzle pieces are starting to come together. but thank you so much, so much for coming on. I was so happy when you actually approached me with the idea of coming on the podcast. I met you through one of our favorite people, Christina, the channel, we are in a mastermind business, it's not really business. It's more life, uh, (laughs) container together with seven other beautiful souls. And, um, Yeah, when we learned, when we connected one-on-one and we learned about each other, uh, the history with our fathers and you offered to come on, you work as a grieving guide and just the work you do when I heard about what your offerings were, I was immediately just in awe of you because the grieving process for me, it's been over 10 years now since my father passed away, has been quite literally the the most traumatic, hardest, difficult thing I've had to go through on this lifetime. And I struggled so much with my grief, particularly in the beginning years that I having not knowing you at that time, but knowing the work you do now as a, a grief guide, knowing that there are people out there that specialize in helping people get through the grieving some of the waves of the process. Cause as we know, the grieving process does not just end in this neat, tidy process. I did a outpatient program. Um, wh- that was more geared towards just people that were struggling with their mental health and, and, and trying to, um, work through getting back on their feet and working through places where they were having just a lot of deep sadness in their life, so there there were people that were struggling in different ways, and it was still helpful to have that community. But tell me a little bit about what it's like to work with people in a group setting. You just completed this eight week uh, group coaching program, Grounded Grieving. What is it like to have a community of people that are all going through grieving? At the same time, are, are people in the program at different points of the grieving process, I would imagine? Can you, what, can you, what can you tell us a little bit about that program? I would love to hear.
1: Yeah. So, you know, and you've brought up so many important points that, you know, grief is a lifelong journey and truly it just comes down to embracing the waves of grief when they appear and leaning into them. Um, and having support to feel like you can lean into them is super important. And that's kind of why I wanted to create this space in a in a sense of being able to feel being able to feel. And I think we I know I can speak for myself and with some of my clients, you know, the tendency to disassociate with grief is deep and intense. Um, and I think. There's a lot to be said for having an intentional container where, you know, you are going to be held and you are going to be supported to allow whatever to flow, whatever to come up, whatever um, is really like deep within your heart where we keep our grief. And, you know, traditional Chinese medicine says that we keep our grief in our lungs. And when we think about the lungs and we think about the breath, like in our ability to take a deep inhale and an exhale, like that grief can literally in the body physically deter us from breathing, from breathing life into our life, into our lives, I guess I I should say. And so, you know, it's not just, you know, heart chakra grief and just like total body grief. It's, it's in the lungs, it's in the physical form. And when we have a space where we can allow it to bubble up and it to be seen and it to come to light, versus suppressing it just to get through the day, to get through the daily grind, show up at work, be able to make money, be able to live. Like there's so many things um, that can distract us from our grief and distract us from feeling. And I think that's kind of what I wanted to bring into this grounded grieving container. It's just a space that's intentional.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, a dedicated space where you are looking at the feelings because it the disassociation to your point is so real i avoided grieving for as long as i could and i piled toxins into my body i was i took a slew of medications i didn't sleep for months after my dad passed i kept replaying the hospital and the last moments and just his life and my life and our the times that we had a lot of challenge with one another the times that were good the times that were never going to be it was just like that ongoing loop and we're conditioned to you know you get i think a few days uh, approved off of work to grieve you go to the funeral and then you're just supposed to jump right back into your life and and that's just really impossible and i felt like i did everything i could to just push it down because the feelings felt so overwhelming to me. I was scared of the feelings. And that's really interesting to hear about where it's stored in your lungs. Because when I think about the lungs, I think about a couple of things. One, they're, they're surrounding the heart. So it's almost like they're the protective organ around our heart. And our hearts are literally broken when we're grieving the loss of someone. And then when you think about breath, breath is safety. Breath is like how we feel safe, how we are continue to live, how we take in air. And I had a hard time with breathing and wanting to breathe. I didn't want to even live after my dad passed away. I will just jump in and say that because I felt so much pain and sadness, particularly the first six months that it was so overwhelming. I didn't even want to breathe. I didn't. I wanted to sleep so I took a bunch of Ambien. I was overprescribed and then I I took it inappropriately and abused it. I would drink alcohol on top of the antidepressants and the anti-anxiety medications my doctor gave me to help me cope and it was I was just I had become this hot mess and I I embraced that because that felt it felt it felt safer for me to be a complete mess and to be destroying my life um one one evening at a time, rather than actually look and unpack the pain of knowing that I would never see my dad again. And I, all I wanted to do was just talk to him one last time, talk to him again, reconnect with him. And I just, the space that you must have to hold for people going through these waves. I mean, I, I don't know if I could do what you do. Like that's a that takes a really special heart. And I I think again, speaks to your cancer South node because it really takes a lot of compassion and nurture to be able to hold space for people to unpack all of those uncomfortable thoughts and feelings. Cause we feel shame when we think that way. Like when I wanted to die because my dad had died and I didn't want to live anymore. I didn't want to breathe anymore. I felt shame about that at the same time. Cause like, I knew that wasn't what, how I was, quote unquote, supposed
1: to feel, but that was very real for me, absolutely. And we feel safe. I mean, everything you just described, we feel safer to escape, and that's wow. when you know, oh, damn, like wow, I'm really th- this
0: I'm really this. disassociating,
1: yes, yes, absolutely. And you know, I, to your point, the first six months, the first year, I mean, I would not be able to do what I'm doing now before. Now, like before 2022. Um, I would not know how to hold that kind of space. I'm still trying to navigate holding space for myself in my own ebbs and flows of grieving. And so that's only teaching me things on how to show up to hold space for others who are in various moments of grieving, whether it's the fresh stages, whether it's um, you know, their their parent passed 10 years ago and they're going to give birth in a couple months. And it's like transitionary, like very potent life moments bring up different waves. And I'm going to be going through that. You know, I'm not married. I have no kids yet. And I know that that's on the horizon for me to experience, but it's, it's interesting kind of meeting people wherever they're at, um, in, in their lives with their grief. Um, Yeah. Yes, I mean we
0: all have such a unique relationship with grief, just like we had a unique relationship with the person that passed away. Um, you know, I mentioned my dad passed away ten years ago, he had cancer, it was a terminal cancer diagnosis, multiple myeloma, which is bone marrow cancer. so when he got the diagnosis, they told us it was terminal from the beginning. They said there are procedures he can do to prolong the life so we did all the procedures he did, I should say, he did all the procedures that, that his body would tolerate until it would no longer tolerate. Um, but it was about a three, three year, three and a half year process of slowly watching him, uh, deteriorate and pass away and got getting so many calls. We lived about five hours from each other. I was in the Bay area. He was down South and we would get these phone calls. My sister and I, she was also in the Bay of like, Okay, this is it. Your dad's going to pass come down immediately and we would have to like leave work at a moment's notice. Um I didn't even have a car at the time and trying to coordinate getting even down to see him and then we get down there and you know he would pull through like he just it was just such this up and down experience. What was it like for you? When did your dad pass? How what did he um die from and and you were already working as a coach, but you weren't a grief guide at that time. So, did it? It sounds like it inspired you to, to really specialize in uh, or narrow in on the type of coaching you wanted to offer.
1: Tell me a little Absolutely. bit about all that. Yeah, and I just want to honor you know your experience with anticipatory grief is incredibly unique, and there's a lot even to that that is just like. Yeah, I'll just leave it at anticipatory grief for now. My experience is not that. Um, my dad passed uh, in January 2020, a couple of weeks before the pandemic in the U.S., and um, it was sudden. It uh, he passed in a hotel room in Tampa, Florida, after driving, I guess, about six or seven hours from Destin, Florida, with his girlfriend to. Tampa. He had, um, taken some caffeine pills. My dad did not drink coffee, not really a tea drinker, but he went on really long drives and used to travel a lot internationally and domestically for work and, um, would take caffeine pills to stay awake, to stay, you know, alert. Um, and he took I guess a few more than usual that early morning when they made that seven hour drive, they got to the hotel room and then supposedly, um, you know he had labored breathing, basically had a massive heart attack um, and technically was pronounced dead at the hospital um, and the autopsy basically shared that he had hypertensive, well, I guess aerocholeric hypertensive heart disease. Um, so these are
0: over the counter caffeine pills that anyone that's can correct. Pick yeah.
1: Up. Wow. I wouldn't say that he, you know, I don't know. Cause I couldn't ask him, but I don't think he had an addiction to them, but I think he had a dependency on them as it relates to travel. And as it relates to him, you know, wanting to avoid traffic and just hitting the road and not taking stops and just like very engineer minded. And I think that came up, um, a lot with his, with his travel. And so I think the caffeine pills is just an interesting, um, you know, jump to the heart, which, you know,
0: anyway, so that is. I mean, I think that anticipatory grief is, is definitely challenging. I, I agree. I also think the sudden death like that. I mean, they're both unique in their own ways and they have challenges in their own ways, but I can't imagine getting a phone call like that. You didn't even know it was coming. Like, what was your last experience with your dad before you got the call that he had already passed? Was it a good experience? Was, did you see, had you seen him recently? Because yeah, I mean, then, then the world shut down two weeks later. I can't imagine what trying to process grief going into the pandemic must've been like What, what was that like for you?
1: Yeah. You know, it's so interesting. You look back and it's just kind of tragically beautiful how, how it all played out. Um, I, the last time I saw him was at my business launch party at my apartment in Philadelphia. He flew up from Florida and that was the last time I saw him It was the last time I hugged him is the last time I spoke to him in person. So that was the first weekend of January and he passed on the 24th. So less than three weeks later, um, I of course had phone conversations with him after the business launch party, but I mean, just even taking a moment to be like, wow, like this, <laughs> this, really pivotal moment in my life. He was there and, you know, was the last to leave. It's just not not knowing that
0: was going to be the last time you were ever going to hug him. And how beautiful though, it gives me chills when you share that because for him to fly up to support you, like that is such a dad. That's such a dad, beautiful moment where they're so proud of us. Like my dad always celebrated any career milestone I had. I hadn't done coaching yet. I was still working in marketing at corporate jobs and and startups and stuff like that. But he was so proud. Every time I would get a raise or promotion, I would call him on the phone and he couldn't wait to see me and celebrate, take me out to dinner. And you know that is a pleasure for a dad when they can see their daughters thriving and doing their thing and, and, um, see that continuation of their own genes coming to coming into the world. Like, that's really cool. And so that's such a dad thing for him to come up there and, and, uh, celebrate your achievement. And, but then also just mixed, I would imagine it's like, thank God you got to see him, but also just like, wow, I didn't know that was going to be the last time.
1: Totally. Totally. For sure, um, and yeah, I mean, I think, like you said, it was just a couple of weeks before the pandemic happened in the world and then came to the u s. And so it was a cluster of kind of like so many emotions. You know, the world energetically is just like in shock. I'm in shock. My root chakra literally felt like a huge earthquake had just like totally. Shaken up everything I thought I knew about this reality, about myself. Yeah, and, nothing in
0: life makes sense at all. I could—that's no. what I would imagine it would feel like. You just completely uprooted, yeah. like your whole world spun upside down and sh- shaken about and twisted and pulled apart.
1: Yeah, and there's a lot of people, you know, unfortunately, who lost loved ones in 2020 and obviously beyond. And I know that year was just a heavy. Grieving year overall. People were indoors. They were not as social. They lost loved ones. They lost jobs. Like it was. It's. It was just a grieving year.
0: It was. You're right. And couldn't even visit. I know of stories of I've heard of people where their parents or loved ones were in the hospital and they couldn't even go visit them because of the the COVID um, precautions. Yeah.
1: Totally. It's it's devastating, and I think we all were kind of. We were all feeling that um, whether you lost a loved one or not uh, I think we all were feeling that in the collective and um, yeah it needs to be honored in some kind of way and I think now that we're in 2022 I would like to think that hopefully we're all taking some moments to really feel feel what we possibly didn't feel in 2020 or 2021 and I think it's important to be able to to feel, but also feel supported in feeling, if
0: that makes sense. Well, it does. And, and I would say that, you know, we talked about disassociation and especially in the early days, how that is tends to be the first way we deal sometimes cope with grief with the world shut down. And you're all of a sudden by yourself a lot, or just with whoever you're living with and that living environment, that's almost a forced time to look at that stuff. because I know for me, you know, my dad had already passed eight years ago at that time when we were in the lockdown, but a lot of grief through of of him came up during that time for me, and I had the the space to be able to look at it because I was by myself so much during that time. And I could look through some of the chapters that I couldn't look at, you know, in the early years of the grieving process. But for you, you're just getting thrown into experiencing the sudden loss of, of your father and being prone to wanting to disassociate in the beginning. So, so what, what was your 2020 experience? Were you able to look at your grief and unpack it then? Or do you think it really took
1: some time? This is a great question. And I would say, um, yes and no, like I lived by myself. I I was living by myself, and I found out after my dad passed uh, that I was appointed his executor for his will and estate, which I did not know was part of the plan, and I did not know was on his will, and so that was a complete shock, and I had just started my business, so I, I had all this stuff, thank goodness I didn't have... Clients signed yet, like thank goodness, um, there's a lot of inner workings there that would have been a lot harder to maneuver around to be able to step into this executor role. But um I basically tabled my newly launched business, dove into. Uh, being a, an executor, he was living in Florida. He had two homes, a business. I was living in Philly. So, traveling in the middle of the pandemic, we had to sell the Florida home. Like, I was doing all the things in his Florida home. I was bebopping around to deal with all of this. And I'm really privileged and grateful to have been able to table my business to give this it's full-time job kind of energy uh because if I was not able to do that I truly don't know what I would have done um and that took uh most of 2020 going through closing his estate getting everything kind of wrapped up and uh living alone when I was in Philly you know I was not in a relationship just lost my dad pandemic business was going to launch, had to table that, what am I doing with my life? Who am I? Just a lot of things swirling around and, um, not ever realizing or thinking that I would be alone when my dad passed, which I would be curious to get your thoughts. Like I kind of always assumed my parents are going to pass when I'm married, when I have kids, it's, I'm going to be supported. It's going to be It's going to be what it's going to be, but I won't be going through this alone. And boy, was I wrong in the sense of ever thinking that that could happen to me because it did. And I, I would be curious to know kind of what that was like for you, especially with a dad passing.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, first I'd love to just comment on what you shared because my jaw is on the floor. It's like, I can't imagine, I mean, this is something about grief that often isn't even talked about a lot, but the immediate work that you have to do afterwards, especially if you are the executor, you have to scramble to get the funeral arrangements. There's the will that has to get processed. There's closing out homes if they are, you know, the last member of a family that lives in a home. Um, when my dad passed away, my mom, you know, was still alive, and they were married. They were, they were married for 38 years. But even she didn't know what his wishes were for the funeral. Like the most basic thing you think that a, com- a married couple would have a conversation about. My sister and I were both bewildered that they had never talked about it. And especially knowing that my dad was going to pass away. Um, so it was a little bit of a scramble to just figure out, well, what what are we going to put together? What do we even have the bandwidth to put together? Um, I can't imagine being named the executor. So again, like, that's just like, that's a whole new level of, um, responsibility and, and just wait. And if you're, you're grieving the shock, the sudden news of your, your father, then now your business is, you know, getting put on hold and you're transitioning your whole life, the world shutting down. Like, I mean, that's a lot of weight to, to carry and process. So it would make sense to me that you would be disassociating that you're just to like survive. It's like a survival thing, and I think our bodies, you know, any death, whether it's uh, anticipatory or sudden, there's a trauma attached for the survivors, and um, we our bodies go into fight or flight. It's trying to protect us. It does what it has to do. I think that's why I didn't sleep for months. Um, And and, and speaking to the the piece about partnership, I was actually in a partnership when my dad passed. I we'll never forget. And I'm so, so great, deeply grateful to my partner at that time who was with me, drove me down to make sure that I was not by myself when we knew it was going to be the end, the end this time,
1: mm-hmm. you know, I
0: met my family down there. My sister was pregnant with twins. So my brother-in-law was down there with her. She was pregnant. She's going through her own process of pain because you know, my dad only got to see the photograph of the ultrasound of his grandbabies and and you know how deeply painful to be carrying new life when your father is passing away. I can only imagine. Um, for me, I was uh, you know, I had this partner, but I couldn't hold space for the relationship. So I broke up with them shortly thereafter. They had just done this incredible, amazing thing for me. They had supported me through so much of his his process being sick because we were kind of off and on for years and in, in each other's lives. And, um, and I, I pushed him away. I couldn't handle it. I was so overwhelmed. And then also I was a- associating him with the pain of my father. It was so unfair, but I, it just was what it was because he was there. He was there. He was the only one who knew what I had been going through so deeply. Um, he wasn't in the room when my dad passed. Um, he had I had uh spent the night in the hospital room. My mom and I shared the twin hospital bed next to my dad's. My sister, my brother-in-law, and my ex-partner had gone back to the house and gotten good sleep. Well, tried to get sleep, and they were making their way back over. When my dad passed, it was just my mom and I. And um, Yeah. So he knew firsthand what the whole family was going through, what I was going through and tried to support the best he could. And I couldn't handle it. And then what ended up happening was I, um, that year after my dad had passed, I, you know, I broke up with that partner and then I was just parting my face off. I was drinking as much as I could taking my medications, abusing my medications. I was also over medicated, just numbing myself to an oblivion. So I was just making poor decisions with people that I would spend time with intimately. And then I jumped into a very serious relationship one year later with someone that I had known for a few years through mutual friends, but it was like we trauma bonded. We There was some energy we were picking up subconsciously from one another. And I think this happens when you have deep abandonment wounds, whether they're from childhood, from a, a death in the family, some, any type of traumatic experience, um, you trauma, bond. you pick up on an energetic signal, you're, you gravitate towards one another for good or for bad. And we had a beautiful relationship, but at the same time, there was a trauma. We were connected through trauma and we, we, as much as we had the the most beautiful, deepest, uh, heartfelt relationship, we also had some of the hardest um trauma like traumas within our relationship, because we were just like re-triggering one another. Um, and and so I didn't even realize that until years after we had even broken up when I was still looking at that relationship because I'm like, why am I having a hard time letting this person go? And I remember having a therapist be like, you know, he was your dad. And I started thinking about all the things, and I had never even pieced it together. And I was just like, oh shit, like you're right. And it was just like this huge aha moment. And I felt like really uncomfortable about that because it's like, you don't want to think about your dating people that are like versions of your dad gross, but like at the same time, it makes sense because, you know, our dads are on for most people, like my dad and I had a very up and down relationship. Um, but for most people, we put our our father figures or whoever our caretakers were on some sort of pedestal. Um, and we think of them as you know something else, some other level. And with that comes the loss of when that pedestal gets kicked away, and um, you see the reality. Um, but also just like the thing the traits that we appreciate about our caretakers, our father figures, our parents, um, it makes sense that we would gravitate or be energetically matched to people that. Can offer and mirror those traits that we love because that's an opportunity for us to work through more of that grief, more of that trauma, more of those
1: patterns. Absolutely. And it's like we gravitate to what's familiar, especially as it relates to, you know, masculine energy, divine masculine energy, wounded masculine energy, masculine energy overall. Like we, we, you know, tend to go towards what is familiar. And I think that I, I totally, totally hear you on all of this and also growing, like, especially with the dad piece, you know, we, that's our first exposure to masculine, like as a child, especially as a daughter, you know, that's, that is our, it's not boys running around on the playground. It's like, it's your dad. And it's watching your dad relate to your mom and it's watching your dad relate to you and how your dad relates to other, uh, other people, women, men, all of the above, you know, it's, it's like you're observing how he shows up. Um, And I think it's interesting to always look back on that and also look back on, to your point, different relationships that appear for us to learn certain things, heal certain things, absolutely, um, that could be triggers or reflections or mirrors around what gaps we still have yet to fully heal and complete around the masculine overall, um, but what we could have seen from our dads and the things that we love that might be familiar that might be cool for you know a partner uh, of ours to have um, versus the ones that make us um it's familiar for the triggering reasons, if you will.
0: Yeah. I mean, there's good traits. Like when I think about the partners that have mirrored my my dad or just even people I've dated, it's the good traits just as much as the bad traits. So you true. Know, we, sp- true. we speak to the, the trauma and the triggers and the stuff you can look at, but it's also, it's like, I, you know, I'm always drawn towards a, a version of things that I really appreciated about, about my dad, because to your point, yeah, he was like our first you know, main experience of masculine energy. And, and so it just makes so much sense, um, why our bodies are trying to be comfortable and comfortable doesn't always mean that it actually is. Um, but it makes sense that the body's trying to stay safe. Um, but I remember just having those moments like of realization, um, when it occurred to me, you know, that my dad wasn't going to be around to walk me down the aisle. If I did get married in the future, I had, you know, even gotten engaged, a a few years after he passed. And, uh, it was very hard for me to go through the engagement process, knowing that my dad wasn't going to be there on that day. And, um, picking the the place where I was going to get married, like, because there's that like little girl fantasy. It's like, I mean, I used to watch father, the bride with my dad. Um, you know, we watched a lot of movies together, but father, the bride was like one of the cheesy movies we watched as a family or, or just me and him. And that's the story that little girls are like programmed to like experience. And, you know, I'll never have that experience whether I get married or not, but, um, it's just, it, that can be painful letting go of the visions we had in our head for what our dad, our dad's being there for us. And I remember my dad sat me down when he was close to death and he was asking me about, he was worried because he was worried Mm -hmm. that he was going to pass and I wasn't married yet. You know, my dad was very old fashioned, grew up in Georgia in the South and very traditional mindset. Um, also a Taurus. So he was just very (laughs) much into, um, just having those like traditions and the value, like family values. Um, but he was just asking me, like, do you think you're going to be with this person? The person I mentioned I was with when he passed and I was just like, well, yeah, maybe. And he was just kind of like, he just nodded. It's like, he knew that it wasn't going to (laughs) last, but he did not He, you know, wasn't going to try and deter me either way. And, um, when he was close to death, he was in, in the hospital and he was in so much pain. Like we hit this point in the hospital as a family where we, we had to tell the staff that it was time to like, just keep him comfortable and, and let him, let him peacefully go. And it was such a hard call to make, but he actually asked me for permission, um, in the room. He had had this like moment, you know, sometimes when, Uh, they're close to death. They'll have these like spots of clarity for a minute. And he like like, he was already on morphine. I believe at the time, some of the details are fuzzy admittedly, but he had like came, had this moment of clarity where he like came back and he asked if it was okay. And I was just like, dad, yes, please rest. Like I can't, I I could literally couldn't bear it anymore. It was so painful hearing his hospital, his screams down the hall. When I'd like go get a water, go to the bathroom. It's just like, I, there's no way I would feel right about you Enduring this any second longer, and the whole family was a hundred percent on the same page. Obviously, and but he made that eye contact with me and wanted that permission from me. I believe because I was the youngest. He, you know, I was his. You know, my sister was married, and you know, she was having a baby. It's not like he wanted to leave any of us, but I think he he had a particular worry about about leaving me without having the the partner or whatever in the picture and. And, and, and now I really understand, um, how much of a gift that was because, well, not only to have that, but I wasn't meant to grieve with another person. I know I was meant to go through this grieving process alone. I was meant to be okay with building up my own foundation within myself and being like a hundred percent grounded in my own energy before. Before I'll be ready to enter into a, a partnership that can be long-lasting, and I think it's unique to have a grieving process where I can um, walk through it alone. I think there's benefits to having someone there with you. I've had friends, you know, I didn't have friends that had lost a parent yet, but I had friends that held an enormous amount of space. But it also required me to take responsibility, especially after I had. Um, Gotten so close to being depressed and, and not wanting to be stepped into life anymore, and, and had some suicidal ideations and spent uh, some time in the hospital because of them. Um, a friend, you know, checked me in, made sure that I got the care that I needed. And it was a big wake up call. I had to take responsibility for the path I was taking myself down with the the pain I was feeling, the way I was abusing medications, the way I was, um, not dealing with things only I could get myself out of it. And, um, it, it helped me to, you know, I was already seeing a therapist, but to really prioritize and why I'm such a proponent of inner work. It's like, if I wasn't working with therapists, if I didn't have so, such a strong support, uh, network. If I didn't have, I had a really compassionate employer at the time who let me take a leave of absence so I could deal with the mental health challenges that were really, you know, preventing me from from grieving the way that I wanted to. And I had to take responsibility. I had to step into an outpatient program. I had to. Uh, eventually, it took me a few years, but I had to, uh, eventually, with the support of doctors, get off all the medications, and and really look at. Myself, my life, my grieving process alone, so that I could unpack everything and deal with it and take responsibility for how much I was letting the grief impact my life, my future. the The grief was so deep for me that it was impacting my future. I couldn't st- I wasn't able to step into life for a long time or I would make the wrong choices or, I just kept running and running, even if I would make a good choice, then I would, it would just, I couldn't sustain it because the grieving process was just so painful for me. And, um, it's like, I think my dad preempt- preemptively knew I was going to have a really hard time. Cause he knew, you know, our dads know us like no one
1: else. It's so true. And I just want to say, wow. I mean, Tiff, this is the strength that you have. I really like, could bring me to tears because that you are incredibly unique to have literally built, rebuilt, and reclaimed your life in pretty much every aspect. And not everyone can do that. Not everyone can do that. Not everyone is brave enough and courageous enough to take radical self responsibility in the midst of. A very traumatic event. And I think this just goes this just goes to show how incredibly strong and powerful you are to have had that experience. And just knowing like, really knowing who you are now is just like that is the gift that you just gave yourself from a really unfortunate tragic situation. So, I honor like that is wild in 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 a way that is just incredibly beautiful, although I'm sure it didn't always feel like it at the time. No, I mean, well first of all, thank you Carrie. I I really, yeah. really appreciate um those
0: words and I mean, yeah, it's been a lot of fucking work. Um not can't, can't <laughs> there's no other way to say it, but it really took f- my life completely falling apart and hitting a rock bottom. And, and that was coming out of a serious relationship that was post when my dad had passed. And that's when I realized the culmination of all the grief I had been holding and it was in intertangled tangled and that relationship, which also mirrored parts of my dad that were unhealed. And then the, the dad grief on top of that, it was just like everything. And, and that's why, you know, I really believe that it's the breakdowns, you know, as cheesy as it sounds, the breakdowns that lead to breakthroughs, because if I hadn't completely lost everything, had these moments of breakdown, you know, when I had gone to the hospital, it was the, f- I wasn't in the relationship yet. That was the hol- first holiday season experiencing mm. without my father. And I think the anticipatory of the, it was Thanksgiving week in the weekend before Thanksgiving, he had passed in the, in April um i w- had gotten you know wasted at some holiday party and i was on all these medications and and that's when i had um entertained the idea of just not being on earth anymore and that f- it was that first holiday without him i couldn't bear i couldn't bear the idea of it um and it it was really and still holidays for me are still a struggle i don't know i would love to talk about holidays with you because um I still tend to get sick every Christmas. It like without fail. Even when I forget that that it's going to happen or that it's going to come up, my family's all ready to get together and 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 spend the holidays and have a nice holiday. And I usually get sick, and I either don't show up, or I can't show up, or I choose not to show up. Um, but you know, you have those experiences, and you think, okay, now I'm going to look at the grief. So I looked at it. I looked at it and then life goes on. So then I kept pushing through and then you jump in a relationship or that's what I did. And then that relationship breaks up. And then you recall all this other grief that you had just kind of put on the shelf and had been just trying to move through life because life keeps going. And But there's still all these layers that you hadn't dealt with. And in that culmination effect is what really pushed me to look at everything and rework everything get off all the medication stop using all the substances I was using um but it was it took years and I can now say ten years after my dad passed that I'm in a place where the waves still come they they have not stopped coming um but I know what they feel like now I welcome them they almost to me feel uh, soothing because I'm like, they wouldn't be coming up if there wasn't another part that I'm ready to look at. So to me, it's a, a, it's a mark of like having this heart space to be able to even look at it. And so I take the wave on instead of like trying to shove it down, but it took me years and years and years to figure that out.
1: Yeah. And you get to a place where you realize that grief is really love and it's a reminder of love. And it takes a while to get there. (laughs) You can't jump to that right after it happens. But when you do, it makes it that much easier to embrace those waves being like, okay, this is a way that like my body is remembering love, is remembering his love, is remembering, you know, I, I think it sounds super cliche, but really like when we can lean into remembering that grief is really a reminder. That it's all love. It's all from my love with this person, my love with my dad that we shared. This is reminding me of that love. And I can feel this because I feel safe to feel it. And to your point before, you know, the body knows, the body knows, whether it's holidays getting sick, I got shingles. like two days after my dad's birthday, um, in 2020. So the year that he was not, um, alive for his first birthday, I got shingles. That was a whole thing, but it's like the body, it's like a volcano. Like it, it will erupt and our body will tell us when it's gonna, when lava is about to spew or when it's about to trickle or when it's about to just, Oh, it's, it's a dormant volcano. Like we're going to keep stuffing this down. And then it just like builds and you feel that, comp- that compilation really. And, and it just stuffs, stuffs, stuffs. And then we have moments like holidays where we can't distract ourselves or we can't not remember where our bodies are actually like, oh, okay, this is how we can signal to her that she does need to feel. This is how we can signal to her how she needs to pay attention and, and feel and you know and allow herself to go there, um, emotionally, energetically physically.
0: So, yeah. Yeah. I mean the, the body sickness thing is, is intense. My mom actually, she got a breast cancer diagnosis just a few months after he passed away and our childhood dog passed away a couple months after my dad passed. It's like, Mm -hmm. I know that my dog Marley, she was 13 when she passed. I know that she she and my dad were like besties. I know that she was never the same after she passed, and her heart hurt so much that I think that's why she probably—I mean, she was also 13—but I think it all kind of um, the the seasonality of it and the timing of it was really interesting to me. I think that was a body body reaction of of processing the grief and and through through my dog, and then with my mom. You know, they always say they often say that cancer has lived in the body for years before it's ever diagnosed or ever detected, even because the the cells, um the way that they start um, you know, irregularly um, cloning or however, you know, however, the cancer process, I'm, I'm not a scientist or a doctor. but the way it starts in the body is often undetected for a while. and um, Luckily, with my mom, she you know they caught the cancer really early on, and she had to undergo a lumpectomy and then a, a round of chemo. But for for her to go through that on the heels of my father passing away, her husband of 38 years, she didn't even want to tell my sister and I that that was even going on because, like, you know, she also right after he passed, I remember this vividly. Now that I'm talking about her, um, she got really sick so sick right after he passed away that which was another layer of complication around trying to figure out the funeral arrangements and all of these things because her body like shut down I've never seen her that sick where she couldn't even like get out of bed like she was always just like the most um stoic warrior mom or just like would not ever tell you if she wasn't feeling good like she would just like you know go through anything and she had completely shut down she couldn't she had no words she couldn't talk she couldn't get out of bed and um, and then when she got sick a couple months later, it was like, you know, need you start thinking about, did the body activate the cancer in her system, um, after my dad passed because she's grieving and the body's in so much pain, it's trying to release energy. Things start clicking into place. Like people, you know, weird health symptoms crop up for people after, right after their parents pass away. It's like, it, it's, it really fascinating to me how the body, um, handles the grief load, even if we're not making that connection point.
1: Totally. Totally. And even if we're like, oh, okay, I can be conscious that in traditional Chinese medicine, lungs hold the grief. Maybe I should focus on breath work, et cetera, to be able to like release some of that and allow some of that light into the cracks that have just broken from the grief in our heart. And to your point, like lungs holding the heart and just how heavy that can feel in the lung space, in the heart. Um, but like, even with me consciously knowing that I know that there's still so much that I don't consciously know that's happening in my body, that my body is still marinating. It's energetically feeling it's releasing and then it's holding. And you know, there's so much beyond what we even know. And grief I think is the ultimate, um, transformer energy of ourselves, but also physically of like what, what is transpiring and, and, and what the body is really trying to communicate to us.
0: And I just wish that more people knew about the lungs and grief because I didn't know about that. And it's like having the tools, knowing that you need to breathe and to have the deep breathing techniques in place to help you move through it. Like, is that something that you work on in your Containers with clients in your um, grounded
1: grieving or one on one? So, I personally don't, but part of grounded grieving involved a breathwork ceremony with a dear friend, Erin, um, who is a breathwork ceremony practitioner in um, and Philly. And she did a, she basically led us through a virtual breathwork ceremony um, for grounded grieving where I actually participated and got to be held in this breathwork ceremony. And so, um, it's not my, it's not really in my modality wheelhouse, but I love weaving that in because it is just so important and, and really impactful to hone in on when you are going and moving through grief.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, and really connecting the body sensations to the grief energy that's it's stored. So what are some of the things that you do weave in to your containers um, that you can speak to maybe at a high level of of how you help people start to extract some of these layers that they're pushing down?
1: Yeah, I think it really, every person has different nuances of what they're processing as it relates to their grief. But I think there's, there's some overarching themes of you know, wanting to be witnessed, people want to be witnessed in their grief. They want to be seen in their victimhood. They want to be seen in their sadness. They want to be seen in their trauma. They want to be witnessed. And I, I definitely witnessed that uh, for myself and experienced that of this like dire victimhood of like, I mean, I would go to the grocery store and just be like, How do I, everything in my body was like, all I want to do is tell anyone and everyone, my dad just died. My dad just died. My dad just died. My dad just died. My dad just just passed. My dad is no longer here. Don't you see me? Don't you see my pain? Don't you see what I'm possibly going through? Like there was this, 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 this desire to be like, woe is me. And that was my own victimhood where like, I wanted to feel validated for eh, all of the shit that I just went through and that I'm still going through. And so it's interesting to like observe that about myself of like different situations where I would want and desire certain things um, from people. And it all kind of really comes back to being witnessed. It comes back to being witnessed and being loved for just expressing and being able to express the victimhood, knowing that I don't want to stay in the victimhood and knowing that the victimhood isn't fully serving me. But I need to feel this so that I can get to other levels of feeling empowered about my life, feeling empowered, knowing that I have a deeper connection to myself and open and hopefully ever evolving relationship with my loved one in spirit and loved ones in spirit, including my dad and feeling like realigned with that and all, all the other kind of waves that come up. In that progression and in that evolution, so that's a very broad stroke answer. But there's just a lot of kind of themes that we kind of bucket week after week, relating to um, even the abandonment piece. Just, just different things, and it kind of ebbs and flows depending on you know where where these clients are at with their present moment of feeling and grieving. Um, but I think, I mean, the whole thing is just to provide that sacred container where you can be witnessed. And that—that
0: that, that 100%, is- A hundred percent. The witnessing is, and I can relate so much of like telling anybody and everybody about it and wanting to just feel acknowledged for having gone through something so painful. And, and like, I didn't even- you know, correlate that it was like a victim thing. I was just like, no, people need to know how much pain I'm in and just experience. Like, I want people to feel sorry for me. Like, you know, like there's that weird thing that happens because well, and our, our parents, you know, losing a parent, they're the people that see you no matter what. And so to not have a a core person that used to witness you and see you and all of your hard times or good times, but especially the hard times having one of those people gone, like you need extra witnessing, you need extra scene. I mean, I would even, I remember so many first dates I went on where I would I would talk about it on the first freaking date, scare the person off immediately, like way to make them run for the hills. D- tell, tell the story of your, your parent passing away on the first date. Uh, let me just give you guilty, a hot tip right guilty. there. It's like, it would just come up. And and I thought it was like a way to like connect with the person. If I felt safe <laughs> enough that, you know, it's like not looking back, I'm like, I can't believe I used to do that. But it, it's just, it's like, it's, that's how extreme it goes. Like you really just want Anyone and everyone to see you and to understand that you've been through something and to acknowledge that. And that it's just amazing.
1: Totally, totally. And I, I, Tiff, I did the same. I have glad I'm not the only one. So guilty, so guilty on that. So, yeah, we could talk about that another time, but it's there's some funny stories, some funny stories looking back.
0: I mean, yeah, we could get a whole episode (laughs) just on that alone. I feel like. but, you know, I think I, I'd love to hear about if this comes up for you, I will just have random things happen to me, random people I meet, random moments where I'm minding my own business. I'm not even thinking about my dad. I'm not actively grieving in that moment. I'm just having even a good day, like do to do And all of a sudden, I'll meet someone, or a song will come on the radio in the car, or like it's like those little moments when all of a sudden I will just get this wave of grief and I can like barely hold it together, especially if I'm in public. I mean, thank God for my oversized sunglass collection because (laughs) it's come in handy more times than I can count. Because all of a sudden, I'm just like, you know, I'm on Bart or something and I'm just like sobbing my face off and I can't keep it, barely hold it together over a song that just came on the, the radio, or it's like, what always strikes me too, it's like, I'll hear his voice in my head. Like it's usually when I'm like beating myself up about something I just did. And then I'll hear his like critical voice or I'll be like excited about something. And I'll just like, hear some little phrase he used to say. And and then I'll just like miss him because he's not there to witness the, the, the celebration with me. Um, or it's like, I'll meet a person and they'll show me their hand. Like there's this guy that up at my, I'm staying with my mom right now. And there's this guy that we I run into on my walks with my dog. And every time he asks if he can pet my dog, he'll reach his hand down. And I just start crying because his hand looks exactly like my dad's hand looked same exact sunspot pattern, the, the, you know, wrinkles and everything. And I'm just like, I just literally can hold it together. And, and every time after he walks away and I'm sobbing, I thank him you know, I'm so thankful for his, his hand wanting to pet my dog for him, always wanting to say Mm -hmm. hi to us and wish us a good day because it's those moments where I feel a little connection with my dad, a visitation for my dad, if you will, where I feel like he's still there. He's still visiting me. He's still around. And if I just tune into it more, even the songs, it's like, yes, I have these beautiful things that are activating this grief so that I can keep remembering, like, don't forget, don't think that, you know, it's something that needs to be shut off all the time. It's part of our life. It's part of who we are because parts of our dad just are going to always live within us.
1: Yes. Yes. And, and like they are in us and we are in them. And so I think like, this is, it's, beautiful to have those reminders and be like, they've actually never left. They're, they're here and they're here in my heart space, but they're also here around me. Um, all of our loved ones on the other side. And I think when we just start to embrace those little moments, like you said, you know, I have, I have so many, but one that's coming to mind is my sister and I, uh, probably over a year ago, we were eating at a Chili's, like literally eating at a Chili's. I don't eat at Chili's regularly. I I'm not judging you. just because I'm laughing.
0: I'm not judging. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so we like sat down and it was just my sister and I, and we sat down at this Chili's and this, our waitress comes up and she was training this waiter, you know, he was in training. So it was both of them. And it was probably the second time that he came up. And, and as soon as he turned away from our table, I, this waiter looked exactly like the back of my dad's head, like the polo that he would wear. Like it was, it was just, and like the khaki pants, like it it was this image of this waiter in training like even the mannerisms, like it just, as soon as he turned, it just hit me. And I immediately, I was like overcome, overcome with like complete emotion. And, um, you know, and then it's other things where like, my dad loves to send me feathers and pennies and specific signs through song, just like you, like he loved music and there's, many specific songs that he loves to throw my way and that's the stuff that we can hold on to and when i know when i know that i want to feel that extra support i'll throw on one of those songs or i'll put my spotify on shuffle and i'll be like dad you pick your dj and he will always come through with a song that i know he wanted to send me and i know he's with me and it's be- it's so beautiful that i really could cry because it's those moments that are just that's what you hold on to and those are the things that keep that connection of love alive with our loved ones and it's also the moments where we're not even thinking about them where we're not even grieving we're not even in the throes of it i'm sitting down at chili's for god's sake and just ordered like probably a loaded baked potato or something ridiculous like when when that appears and that's where it's like we can be open to it all and they're both equally beautiful and equally emotional.
0: Yes. 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 I love that. And a question I have for you, because this was something that took me so long to figure out about grieving, you know, that they always say that there's different layers or stages of grief. Was there one of the stages that were, was hardest for you to process over others? I know for me, one of the hardest phases of grief was the anger part. Like everyone kept saying, you need to get angry. You need to get angry. So that you can process a layer of the grief. And I was just like, I can't get angry. I'm sad. I'm like so deeply sad and I'm crying. I'm doing all these things. I'm depressed, which they say, you know, depression is repressed anger. You know, it's just, it's being again, stored in the body, but physically feeling angry and fired up and getting like pissed that my dad died, that just like how he it felt like he was taken from us, like how it felt like his you know, he was just about to retire how his finally, he was going to take a break from working his ass off. Like he had his whole life and go travel. And and he wanted to build this log cabin and whisk my mom away into the mountains and this cabin and all of that just got ripped away. And so it's like, I had to really connect to the anger. It took me a while to connect to it. I had to journal about it. Um, I always have wanted to go to one of those places where you can like throw things at the wall and like physically get out anger. I still think that that could help me, um, with the anger piece, but like, was there a phase of grief that was hard for you or, or was the anger part hard for you? Like any of that?
1: Anger was definitely hard, similar to you. I just felt really sad. That is the only emotion that I felt like I could compartmentalize and it was sad. Um, so I relate to you on the anger piece. And quite honestly, like I know I still have layers of anger to move through, really, for the rest of my life. Um, nice. I did move through some of it, but anger and I would say denial. I think losing someone, and I'm sure people can relate to this on all levels, but especially in 2020, like there was just so much happening where it was easy for me to just be like, he's not actually gone. I'm just doing all of this, you know, executive stuff as like my full-time job. But like dad is just on an international trip and I just, I'm just not talking to him or like it, it, it just COVID just made it seem like, oh, okay. I'm just not able to one, see you. And two, we weren't, you know, living in the same state whatsoever. Um, but I think I just made it easy on, it made it easier to convince my brain that he just wasn't accessible versus that he had actually passed away and was no longer on this earth plane. And, um, so that kind of took some unraveling the denial piece, because I think my, you know, your mind, the brain does some funky, funky things, um, with death. And I think trying to rationalize and compartmentalize all of it it can convince ourselves of a lot of really interesting illusions. Um, And so, yeah, I would say denial as well.
0: Yeah. Denial. That's a good one. I mean, not a good one, but that's an important one. Um, Totally makes sense. Given the pandemic, it's like, yeah, no one was able to see family or hardly see family members. Anyway. So I could see how you could, your brain would want to make that association so you could survive and, 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 and just, Keep getting through that period. Um, I also like denial too. I know, especially in the beginning, it still happens occasionally. I dreamt about my dad a lot. And and that almost became more painful because then you would wake up and you know, you'd be like, fuck, that was a dream. And um, but you could feel them. And sometimes I think that you know, he actually is visiting me in my dreams. I don't know if you have any encounters with that because you're so intuitive. I would imagine that you would. Um, but I've, I've had him, felt him hug me in my dreams. And it like felt like an actual hug from him. And it's it's amazing how I think that's why it's hard to, or easy to stay in denial, why it's hard to process the grief. Because it's like, it's always playing this loop in our subconscious brain. Sometimes it, it's being accessed through our dreams. Sometimes it's being triggered through music or, or random occurrences. But it's like even if we think we've processed the different layers, it makes sense why denial would be a hard one because they're still visiting us in so many different forms. It's just not the same form that we were used to. Totally, absolutely, yeah. Well, Carrie, this is and such a powerful conversation. I feel like there's still so much here that we could look at and I just want to thank you for for holding space. I feel like you helped me feel so safe to have this conversation that more than I realized I would be willing to share came out through our conversation and um I really um just honor you holding the space for me to be able to share what I shared and I'm also just so um touched by what you shared and and grateful for you coming on and sharing your story and and opening up to my listeners about something so deeply intimate and personal that you've walked through, and I'm just such an awe of the work that you do, and and how you've handled your own grieving process and and how you support others. Can you um, tell us a little bit about your c- containers that you offer for um, grief and where people can find you?
1: Yeah, and I just want to say like. This is such a profound conversation, and it's just scratching the surface. Um, and I know, you know, I, I know people will feel into how impactful it is just to hear people talk about grief in this way, even if they can't fully resonate with it quite yet. Um, there's so much here, and I'm just so grateful to you for having me on and for having such an open, transparent. Space for us to go there because truly, like we would not have been able to go there without you, uh, you holding the space for that. So, I just want to say that. Um, but yeah, I have grounded grieving, which is a container that is going to be evolving. Uh, we just wrapped up the first round last week, so I'm going to really be diving in to what this is going to look like going forward. Um, but that is for people who are um, feeling grief and would like to be witnessed in a sacred container. Um, and then I have one-on-one coaching. I'm an energy healer. So I work in the quantum field as well. Um, so I do one-on-one things with coaching and healing.
0: That's I love pretty it. much the scoop. I love that you also offer energy work because that's a whole nother layer. It's like, we talked about the body and the physical ailments and then the actual grieving process, but there's also that energetic release, um, whether it's grieving or you're just working through blocks or different waves that you're trying to access. The energetic piece is so important and, um, working with a practitioner that you really trust that can help you, um, look at the energy and, and move through different things that you're trying to shift. That's beautiful and powerful. And I recommend everyone go look at Carrie's uh, offerings. She is incredible, credible, gifted soul. And I'm just, again, so honored to have you come on. And I'm just so glad you're a friend in my life and someone that I can connect with about such a hard, but important
1: topic. Thank you again, Carrie. Absolutely. Thank you, Tip. Thank you so much.